Good morning, America. Good afternoon, those in Eretz Yisrael. Welcome to all those joining us for Chaim Oharan. We've had a long break due to holidays and other circumstances. We're continuing the shir today, and we dedicate the learning today, Li'ilu'i Nishmas, Avram Ephraim Yisrael Brebenachem Aroin, whose yard site is tonight, and also Li'ilu'i Nishmas Ratz Yisora, Bas Rabbi Yisrael Abba, the sister of Rav Rosenfeld, whose yard site was today. We're up to paragraph 366, Shin Samachov, which is in the section entitled Mailas Toiroso Yusforov Hagdoshim, the great benefit of Rabbi Nachman's Torah and his holy books. <coughs> Rabbi Nelson Sal writes that on Cholamoid Sukkot, of the year before Rabbeinazal passed away, actually two years, Rabbeinazal asked, where are we holding in tefillah? And he explained afterwards that the order of the Torah that he's teaching to his students follows the order of the prayers. So that each and every chapter in the Kutimah, each one of his shurim, is associated with a particular place within the tefillah. We know, for example, the Arizal explains that in the tefillah of Shachris that we daven, it's divided basically into four sections corresponding to the four worlds. The first part of the prayer, Korbonais, where we speak about the Akedah of Yitzchak Avinu and then go into a discussion about the different sacrifices in the Beis HaMikdosh, corresponds to our world, which is called the Olam Ho'asiyah. The next section in the tefillah, Psuke de Zimra, the songs, most of which come from Tehillim, which continues from Choydu through Yishtabach, corresponds to the Olam Hayitzira, which is called the World of the Angels. The next section of the tefillah, from Borchu till Shmonesrei, corresponds to the Olam Habriya, which is called the world of the throne of Hashem, and Shmonesri itself corresponds to Atzilus, the highest of the worlds. <clears throat> and there's a lot of discussion in detail in the writings of the Arizal, showing how each paragraph fits into this. So here, Rabbeinazal made a comment that his Torah also corresponds to the order of the prayers. And Rabbeinazal said at that time, this is two years before he passed away, he said, we're still before Baruch Shamar, but we're after Hodu. According to Nusach Sfar, those that daven Nusach Sfar. And Rabbeinazal went on to say, probably there'll be someone who will be able to pray so well that his tefillah will be with all of our Torahs. But the person will, will have to live a long life <clears throat> in order to complete the entire tefillah, meaning in order to be able to recite. Sorry, Rabbeinazel was implying that he would have to live a long life in order to complete the entire order of the tefillah, meaning in order to say all the Torah that he would want to say to correspond with the rest of the tefillah, since from what he mentioned, he was always really towards the beginning. It's interesting to note that I heard it said about Rabbi Avraham Sternhartz, who was also known as Rabbi Koch of Leivzal. He was the Rebbe of Rav Rosenfeld, Rabbi Michal, and many of the other giants in Brussels of the previous generation, <coughs> that when people would hear him davening for the Ahmed, by the nuances in how he pronounced certain things in the tefillah, they were able to tell that he was davening with the Likute Maran. That in his tefillah, when he was saying, when he would say the words, you could feel that he was including that chapter of Likute Maran in his tefillah. And so too all the other chapters. The next paragraph, 377, Rav Nosanzal says, I was told by some of Rabbeinazal's students, that when I came and joined the group, Rabbeinazal said in front of other people, not, not in my presence, 
that Baruch Hashem, that Hashem has sent me a young man like this, that not one word of Torah that I'm going to speak will go lost. And what he was referring to, Rav Zal says he was referring to me, that I would have the privilege of writing down every single word that came out of his mouth, whether it was the official shiurim, the toirois, and even sichois, even conversations that we had with him that were not formal conversations, that not one word would be lost. And we see that Rav Zal actually succeeded in capturing just about all of the shurim that he attended on Shabbos, on Yontif, during the week, he would write it over immediately afterwards and show it to Rabbeinazal. Rabbeinazal would edit it. And, and Baruch Hashem, the majority of Likutei Moran is what we have from those shurim that Rabbi Nosazal wrote down. Then we have the Sefer Sichoi Saran, Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, <clears throat> and also Chayim Aran, which we're learning now, which is conversations, informal discussions which Rav Zal realized that every word coming out of Rabbein Zal's mouth was Torah and was important enough to write down, to document. <clears throat> Baruch Hashem for what we have. The next paragraph, Shin Samaches 368, Rav Zal says, one, one time Rabbein Zal entered into his house and he asked about me, he asked where I am, and he seemed to be very pained by the fact that I wasn't present at the time. It bothered him a lot. And he said, I don't have whom to say what I need to reveal. And Rabbi Nezal said, I have to contain a lot inside myself <clears throat> that I don't say, that I don't give out. It's only when the water rises all the way to the top and it's overflowing, like water. when water in, in a river overflows and it o- flows over the banks, <clears throat> that's when I'm forced to reveal it. Rabbi Nezal said in Yiddish, Nora segate iber desatevkis. It's only when, when the waters are, are all the way up to the top and continuing to flow over. And he said, and now I don't even have who to tell that to. And then Rabbi, Rav Nosanzal writes, Rav Nosanzal once said to me when I first came close to him that if I'll, be a, if I'll really be religious, I'll be able to hear a lot from him. Because Rav Nosanzal said, I need a person to whom to tell my Torahs to. Because there are many times that I need to say something <clears throat> and therefore I have to have someone present to whom I can tell it to. And there were many times when Rabbi Nezal would reveal Torah and say things to whoever was present at the time. And Rabbi Nezal writes, Rabbi Nezal once told me regarding a particular item that he once said over a, a Dvar Torah to a person who really couldn't understand it at all. And Rabbi Nezal said that Rabbi Nezal told me afterwards, since I have to speak, I have to reveal, and this person came, so I said it to him. But I'd much rather want people to hear my Torah who can grasp it. The next paragraph, and then we'll take questions. 369, Rav Nosanzal said, Rav Nosanzal once said to me, and, and with this you can't be happy with? The fact that you are privileged to have a major role in my Sefer, in the Likutei Maran, which was published at that time, remember, it was only the first half of Likutei Maran, what we call Chelek Aleph, that was published during Rabbeinazal's lifetime, which is approximately 285 chapters. <clears throat> and Rabbeinazal elaborated at the time, and he said to me that the entire Sefer is mine. If I hadn't been present, that Sefer wouldn't be in the world. And Rabbi Nezal explained, and he, he, he elaborated, <clears throat> that the entire Sefer was made through me. And Rabbi Nezal said, a little bit you realize 
the greatness of this Sefer and its holiness. And more than that, <clears throat> you can trust me, you can believe how important, how great this Sefer really is. And Rabbein Azal said, we published a thousand books, and each and every Sefer will be used by several people. So Rabbein Azal said to Rabbein Azal, you should definitely feel happy and, and encouraged over the fact that you were zeichet to such a schusarabim that so many people are going to benefit from this thanks to your efforts. And Rav Nosenzal says, I also heard that when I wasn't present, Rav Nosenzal spoke to several of his students and he said to them that I have a major, major portion in the Sefer. And Rabbein Azal said that to them, <clears throat> that they should appreciate, they should, they should feel gratitude towards me, because had I not been involved in it, there wouldn't even be one page of Rabbein Azal's teachings in the world. We see that from the other students, despite the fact that they were great people, but they didn't write down the shurim, and we don't have, we only have this maybe about 10 chapters on Likut Imran, which were written down by other students before Rav Zal came, or at certain times when Rav Zal couldn't be present. <clears throat> and there's a vast difference between what they wrote and what he wrote, as we're going to see shortly. Any questions, please? Should we try to say that? Like, if we have a good reputation, should we try to write down? Definitely. I I can speak from my own experience, sad experience in a way, that I was privileged to have rabbis who said incredible things. My Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, who I I was privileged to learn from him for about eight years, and he gave shurim during the weekdays, just about all of them were recorded. He was the one who made sure to have a good quality recorder at the time, and he used quality cassettes at the time to record the shurim because he realized the value. People today, 50 years later, are still learning from and benefiting tremendously from those shurim. But unfortunately, his best shurim were the ones that he gave on Shabbos, on Yantif, when you couldn't record, and for years they were not written down. It's only towards the end of his life that one of his closest students, my friend Rabbi Goldman and I, realized <clears throat> the incredible loss. And we would sit down right after Shabbos to try to remember. We would concentrate very hard during this year to try to remember it and write it down. <clears throat> and with the both of us together, very very often we'd show it to Rav Rosenfeld and he would say, you, you forgot this, you forgot this. <clears throat> and Baruch Hashem, many of those shurim were written down, but the vast, vast majority weren't and there were incredible things. Each year that he gave was a, a something magnificent. It was an entire structure, like an entire painting with, with ten different components, stories, things from the Arizal, from the Zohar, all kinds of very, very interesting special things, which I regret in a big way that we, we, we didn't put in the effort at the time to write it down. And even the things that were written down weren't published, weren't put in order to be printed. Baruch Hashem, recently, <clears throat> one of his students has put an incredible, incredible amount of work to take the Sichai Saran, the shurim that he gave on Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, and to transcribe them and have them edited and put out in Sforim, which people who are reading it are saying they're getting incredible, incredible encouragement you know, and, and inspiration from reading those those shurim that, that Rav Rosenfeld gave. Same thing is true with the other rabbis that I learned from, Reb Michal Dorfman, Zechran Avracha, Reb Nachman Burstein. So whatever you can write down, it's very, very much advised to record, to write down, so that a person has it. The next paragraph, Shinayin, Omar. Rabbein Azal said to his students, every single one of you has a portion in my Torah. But Nassim, he has the greatest portion, more than all of you. And then he said, you know this, 
that <clears throat> that if not for him, you wouldn't have one page of the printed sefer. And in Yiddish he said, Venitair, if not for him, Voltinit Gahata Bletel Shemus. You wouldn't even have a single page. Usually when, when there are pages of scrap, it gets of, of, of Torah, it gets put into Shemus. It could gets put into Geniza. He said there wouldn't even be one page of Shemus. We know that Rabbi Nezal spoke about this, that when he would speak Divrei Torah, he would include all of those that were present in his Torah. There were times that they were able to see it and feel it. There's different incidents that I mentioned throughout the Likut Imran. There was once an incident where a student came to him who had a daughter who was suffering from epilepsy. And Rabbi Nezal gave a shir on Likut Imran, chapter 29 on Likut Imran, where he explains what the cause of epilepsy is and what the antidote is to it. And many other shirim throughout Likud Imran that Rab Nasanzal and Rab Nachman Shirin fill in sometimes, and Rab Avram Sternhartz, what was going on at the time, different things related to different students, and Rab Nasal would include it in the Torah that he spoke. So that's another way of viewing the fact that each student had a share in the Torah. The next paragraph, Shinai and Aleph, 371. Rav Nosanzal writes that Rav Nosanzal said to me, you can be depressed? You have to be extremely happy always. And he said to me, <clears throat> you should let yourself be knocked down, fall fall down? And he said to me, Sevetzich bruder, you're going to experience a lot still. You're going to go through a lot of hardships and difficulties, my brother. Halzich, hang in there, hold on. And Rabbi Nezal also said, Hashem is with you. Don't be afraid. Rabbi Nezal adds a point here that I once heard from one of Rabbi Nezal's students, Rabbi Tzok Leib from Teplik, that Rabbeinazal made a comment to him. Rabbeinazal said to him, if I, would have, if I would tell you half of the things that I told Rabnasanzal, Rabnaftalizal, <clears throat> you, you couldn't exist and the world couldn't handle it. Implying that they had Kalim, they had the capacity to be able to hear some of the high level things that Rabbeinazal taught, which those who were not on that kind of level. If they would hear it, it would blow them away, like we say, in a sense. The next paragraph, Shinai and Beis, Rabbein made a statement that there isn't a single organ in the human body that he didn't say Divrei Torah about, that he didn't speak about. He spoke about every single organ of the body because it's known in Sifrei Kabbalah that each one of the parts of the body corresponds to incredible holy things. We know that <clears throat> the 248 positive commandments in the Torah correspond to the 248 organs in the body. And it's interesting, a, a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago or so, my brother-in-law, Rabbi Kramer, came out with a Sefer, Anatomy of the Soul, in which he discusses, he brings many, many of the sources throughout Likutei Maran, Likutei Alochais, showing every single part of the body, the incredible Divrei Torah that Rabbi Nezal said about it, especially the eyes, the hands, the nose, the mouth, those that are familiar with Likutei Maran will, will remember incredible, incredible Torahs that address every single part of the body. The next paragraph, Shinai and Gimel, 373, Rabbein said, the Baal Shem Tov, who was his great-grandfather, and other tzaddikim accomplished and, and repaired the world to the degree that they did. But unfortunately, after they passed away, the major effects of what they accomplished in the world stopped. It wasn't transmitted, it wasn't really passed down from generation to generation. Therefore, we have to establish something 
that will be established permanently. And Rabbi Nezal said another time that we, I have to make sure to leave over students and those students will make more students and those students will make more students for generations to come. And this statement is one of the very powerful, incredibly important statements in Breslov, where Rabbi Nezal made it perfectly clear to his students that he wanted them to be fruit-bearing trees, not to be a person who hears things and they hold on to it, they don't share it with others. For a person, each one on their level and in their own way, to be able to share the things that they hear, whether it's with family members, with a wife, with children, with friends, with whoever is willing to listen and can listen and can appreciate these words to make sure to share it with them. That's one aspect of this. Another aspect is that Rabbi Nezal used the word Talmidim, that I, I have to establish students and those students will make... He didn't say rabbis, he said students. And this is one of the things that, that's come up in recent generations tremendous emphasis as to one of the unique things in Breslov, different from other places, that there wasn't a Rebbe who took over after Rabbi Nezal passed away, and so on and so forth in the future generations. The students, many of them who were great rabbis, very high level, and who taught many students, and yet the position that they took was that we, we have a Rebbe, we are all students of the same Rebbe, one student knows more than the other, much more. He could be that person's, that student's madrik, that student's guide, that person's rabbi, but with the understanding that we are all still acting in the capacity of students of Rabbi Nezal. <clears throat> I once heard from my rabbi, Remichel Zechonavrocha, regarding going to Uman for Rosh Hashanah, let's say, when people come to Uman, he said that a person going to Rabbi Nezal has to make sure to come as a student coming to the rabbi. If a person is coming as a rebbe, a person is coming as they're a rebbe, and it's one rebbe coming to the other rebbe, it definitely will not have the same effect. We'll do one more paragraph and take questions again. <clears throat> Rabbi Nezal says, I heard it said over in the name of Rabbi Nezal, that he once mentioned that all of the very, very high-level things that he learns and that he understands in Torah and about Hashem are not that are not as important to him as the things that he's able to reveal, to share with students, to bring into the world, because every single word of Torah that he's able to share with students to bring into the world, all of the different heavenly worlds are dependent and connected to those words of Torah. And this is an incredible, important point regarding the value of teaching Torah and sharing Torah with others. We know that Rabbi Nezal spoke a lot about the incredible high levels of things that he was able to understand and learn and achieve, incredible high levels in Torah. But he made it perfectly clear that that's not as important and that's, that's not as, as important to him as the Torah that he gets to share with others. The next paragraph, 375. Rav Nasan says, we were once standing in front of Rav Nezal in the evening and he was talking to us at length about many of the different Torahs that he had taught us which Rav Nosanzal said now, they're, they're all printed in the, in the first half of Likud Imran. At that time, they had not yet been published. And Rav Nosanzal says, I spoke up and I mentioned to him some of the different Torahs, and I, I expressed incredible wonderment how, how amazing some of the chidushim, some of the revelations were in these Torahs. And, and this one, and that one, because each one of these shurim is, is just something amazing, very amazing, where a person's soul gets, gets an incredible infusion of life from how sweet and how special the, the revelations are for those who study it carefully. 
and we spoke a lot about it at the time. The next morning, I was actually traveling with Rabbi Nizal, accompanying him on a trip, and Rabbi Nizal spoke up and he said, yesterday we, we organized our merchandise. We were organizing our, all of our merchandise, and Baruch Hashem, it's really very beautiful merchandise. But it would be good if this store had a proper attendant to the store who knows how to organize, like a, a salesman. When they want to sell product, they know how to organize it, like how to catalog it in a way that when a purchase, when a buyer comes in and they're looking for something, the catalog is organized in such a way where the merchandise is folded over. So you don't have to read, you don't have to see the whole book, but you can just look at like the corner of it and see the samples that you need to see that give you a real good presentation of, of what all the merchandise is about and makes it easy for a person who's searching for something to be able to quickly find the, the exact merchandise that they need. And he was saying it, it takes the right kind of person who really, really knows the merchandise well and could organize it in such a way that they could show the potential client immediately how beautiful and, and the, the variety, the diversity, and how beautiful the merchandise really is. So that if a person, and again, relating this to Torah, that a person who would come and want to come close to Hashem and to be able to speak about Rabbeinu's Torah, there would be somebody who could, who could immediately hand the person that Torah that that person needs based on their circumstances. Because every single Torah that Rabbeinu said is very inclusive. It includes many, many different things. And a person who understands it could find whatever they need in it. You just need somebody who really understands it very, very well, who could present it and present to each and every person what they need at that time. And Rav Nosan adds, you could understand the rest of this on your own. It's interesting to note that Rav Nosan himself organized Rav teachings in two different formats, three different formats. There's the actual original Shurim, the Likute Maran. Then there's Kitzel Likute Maran, where Rav told him, I want you to take each one of my Shurim and extract from it the practical advice. And that's the Kitzel Maran, leaving out the drushes, leaving out the complexities, just extracting the practical advice that's found in each one of the Shurim. This is the Kitzel Ikut Emran, and there's, there's several versions of this, the Kitzel Ikut Emran and the Kitzel Ikut Emran Hechodosh, where Rav Nosanzal really did the best job that he possibly could in that. Then, in addition to that, he did something incredible called Likute Yetzos, where he took the entire Likut Emran and organized it by topic, by subject. Emes, Emuna, Gaiva, Simcha, each topic, and being able to show you all the different statements in Likut Imran in short form that speak about that particular topic, so that a person who wanted to learn about Simcha could take the Likut Yetzis, look under the, the topic of Simcha, and be able to see all the different references throughout Likut Imran to get a complete picture of everything Rabbi Nezal said on that topic. That's regarding Likut Imran. Rav Zal himself wrote even more, more in size, in physical size. The Likut Yalochais that Rav Zal wrote is 4,000 pages approximately. And one of his students, Rav Nachman Chirin, writes that he had a dream. He writes that during Rav Zal's lifetime, he had a Kesha with him, he had a connection with him, but he didn't realize the true greatness of Rav Zal until after Rav Zal passed away. And he studied his forum, and that's when he really realized who this person was. So Rav Nachman Shirin writes that he had a dream, and in the dream he saw Rav Zal, and he saw Rav Zal carrying very, very heavy books. 
and struggling and struggling. And he understood from the dream that Rav Zal had a similar situation where not there's a small percentage of people today who have the, the brain power and the time to study Likuti Alochis, where some of the discussions there go on for 30, 40 pages, one discussion on a particular subject. So Rav Zal was looking for someone to make a Likute Eitzos out of his Likute Alochis, to be able to extract the practical advice in each chapter of Likute Alochis. And sure enough, Rav Nachman Shirin went to work on this and prepared what's called the Likute Eitzos Hameshulash, a four, generally a four-volume set, fantastic. Again, in alphabetical order, by topic, organizing everything that a person would want to know from the Likute Alochais on each topic, on each one of these topics. Comes to the holidays, for example, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, Chanukah, Purim, the three weeks. In the Likute Eitzis, a person will be able to see clearly all in short form, in practical form, the discussions that Rav Zal has on Likute Alochas. If a person has the time and is willing to take it to the next level, they'll look it up and learn the whole halacha. But this is, this, this is incredible work that was put into this in order to make it accessible. Any questions, please? Paragraph four. Yes. We're looking forward to you giving Shurim on the Lektai Eitzos Meshulas. I was thinking about that today. What's, what's the next mountain to climb? Maybe that'll be it. We'll see. Paragraph 37. Yes, please. Reb Nussan, um, would Reb Nussan recommend when uh, coming into uh, Breslov or learning Rebbe Nachman's teachers that they begin with the simplest, most... In other words, would you recommend a, a progression of Lakuti, uh, Lakuti Eitzos or, or Kitzel Lakuti Moran? The yeah. answer is generally yes, probably although it depends on the person. It depends on the person's background, it depends on the time the person has available, and it depends on how it's being done. I, I recently had a fabulous experience. I was visiting a friend who lived in Silver Spring, Maryland, and uh, we were there, we went to shul together in the morning, <clears throat> and a gentleman came over to us at the time and started talking, and Breslov, oh yeah, he said, I've tried to look into the Likutimran a little bit, but uh, it was very difficult. I said to him excitedly, wow, Hashem has given me the privilege of giving Shurim, and I have a website. Here you go. You can have the holy Kutemaran. He said, I, I can't learn from a website. You know, so I asked him, do you have time? And he said, yes. And I said, let's do it. Let's start. And we had a Likutemaran. We sat down for about two hours, two and a half hours, and did the first chapter of Likutemaran. Because, again, a lot of the concepts were new to him, and I wanted to really make it super clear so that he wouldn't feel like this is something he can't do. And he enjoyed it immensely. He showed up the next day again and ready for more. And we did the second chapter, and that also took about two, two and a half hours. When we finished, he said, now I'm ready for the website. And Baruch Hashem, this person told me recently that he completed the first half of Likute Maran with the Shuram on the website, now, which is, means approximately 285 Shuram. And, and uh, this person is a person who had learned in yeshiva and enjoyed learning and had the time and had the brain capacity and he had tried it before. So I felt for him it was good to dive in. However, he needed introduction because a person who hasn't learned Sifrei Hasidus and, and hasn't heard anything about Kabbalah, even on the, on the lowest level, a lot of those concepts are new and a person needs introduction. The first time that I, I learned Likut Imran, I had a close friend who spent a few months on Shabbos and we would get together on Shabbos and he taught me the first six chapters on Likut Imran. And it made a huge difference. And then I found out that Rav Rosenfeld had given shurim, which were recorded, and I borrowed his cassettes. And even though when he, 
on, on those cassettes, on those shirim, he went very quickly. He, was, he wasn't trying, he was doing it at the time as a means of somebody reviewing the Likudiman quickly. But it was a tremendous help, the fact that he translated all of the Gemaras, all of the things from the Zohar HaKadosh, from the Arizal, it was a tremendous help. But really, each person, each person is different sometimes, and depending on the person's, for, there's a certain norm of starting with easier. For example, Rav Rosenfeld would advise people in his time, when, when many of the new sperm that have come out the past 50 years didn't exist, he would suggest start with Sichai Saran, Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, which is shorter. It's not, it's not the major shurim, it's shorter conversations or discussions, which is easier to get into at first, and then gradually go from there on to graduate to the more advanced levels. We have svarim like Hishtap Hosanefesh, Outpouring of the Soul, Meshivas Nefesh, and in recent years, svarim that came out, Crossing the Narrow Bridge, other svarim which are very, very helpful as an introduction into, into Breslov, into Rabbeinazal's teachings. Thank you. Sure. Paragraph 376. Rav Nosanzal says, Rabbeinazal was once telling me that there are very, very high-level hidden things that are included in the conversations that he has with people. They don't necessarily realize it, but in the conversation that he's having, he's including some of these very high-level, deep things. However, Abenazal said, I cannot reveal this because I have to speak to you also still. He was talking to Rav Nosanzal. And if I reveal exactly how this works, <clears throat> I won't be able to do this even with you, and I won't be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish implying that in order, in order for Abenazal to accomplish certain things that he need, needed to, he had to be able to say these things, but he had to be able to hide it. It couldn't be revealed in an open way. It had to be revealed in what seemed like an ordinary conversation. And in that ordinary conversation was these very high-level deep things. There's one example that we have of this, in the Likutei Maran, there might be several, one that comes to mind. Chapter 63 in Likutei Maran, which is one of the deeper ones, Rabbi Nezal was once standing with his students shortly before the bris mila of his son, Rabbi Shlom Ephraim Zal. And Rabbi Nezal looked at Rabbi Nezal's shoe, and his shoe was crooked, was very much out of shape. And Rabbi Nezal made a joke, he said, your shoe looks like a slap in the face. And people didn't understand what he meant. And then he commented and he said, let somebody tell me how in this joke that I just made is hidden all of the kavonas that the Arizal has about bris mila. And people had no idea. And Rabbi Nezal started speaking. And again, he revealed that chapter on the Kutimran, chapter 63, which is something incredible, which, which is a takeoff on that statement that he made, where he speaks about ponim, the face, in Yiddish, the expression of pachin ponim, and gives incredible... And Rav Nosanzal said, this was one of the cases where we saw that every word that came out of his mouth, there was depth, there were things behind it. And, and if he was willing, he would pull the curtain and you would see incredible things. We know also chapter 6 when we could him run, where Rav Nosanzal speaks about the fact that when a person does tshuva, they go through ups and downs, alias and yuridos, and a person has to be boki barotzi, boki b'shoiv. You have to know how to deal with an aliyah, and you have to know how to deal with the yurida. Rabbi Nezal gave that shir on Shabbos Shuva at Shalashuris, and then after they davened Marev, Motsoi Shabbos, they were standing around in the shul, as they did often, and discussing the shir that Rabbi Nezal gave. And Rabbi Nezal said, to students there who were very knowledgeable in the writings of the Arizal, he said, let somebody here tell me how the secret kavanas of the Arizal related to the month of Elul are included in this shir that I just gave. 
And again, they were blank looks. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't imagine the connection. And he said to somebody, bring me this sitter from the sitter of the Arizal. And they brought it, and Rabbi Nezal added a, an incredible, incredible piece to that shear, showing fabulous connections with every word that he used in that Torah, with the secrets that the Arizal reveals related to the month of Elul. So these are examples that we have of what's being mentioned here. Rav Nosanzal added here that Rabbeinazal once said to the rabbi of Breslov, Rebaranzal, who was one of Rabbeinazal's closest students, who, who was a giant himself, a giant in halacha, a giant in all facets of Torah, Rabbeinazal said to him, I love you so much and I give you a bracha that halavai you will be zeche in olam haba in the future future world to be able to understand my ordinary conversations. And Rav Nosanzal comments, this was this took place before Rav Nosanzal traveled to Eretz Yisrael. Remember, after Rav Nosanzal came back from Eretz Yisrael, he said he was ashamed and embarrassed. <coughs> of the shurim that he gave before his trip to Eretz Yisrael, and he really didn't want them to be published. So this is before he went to Eretz Yisrael, he made this kind of a statement. The next paragraph, Shinai Zayin 377, Rav Nosanzal says, I heard it told over in the name of Rav Nosanzal's brother, Rabbi Yechiel, that he said, he said in the name of Rabbi Nezal, he was once talking to Rabbi Nezal <coughs> about the fact that Rabbi Nezal had stressed to him the importance of speaking to people in order to bring them close to Hashem. And Rabbi Chiel asked Rabbi Nezal, but in order to do that a lot of times, it requires speaking about all kinds of nonsense and foolishness. <coughs> Because again, regular people, if you want to tell them Advarta, you can't engage, you can't start that way. You can't say, listen, I want to tell you Advartora. They're not into Advartoras sometimes. So you have to first engage them in conversation about whatever they can relate to easily. And within the conversation, try to include something of Torah, something that will give them a connection to Hashem, something that will inspire them or motivate them. And Rabbi Nezal responded, that since within the whole conversation that you're discussing with them, <clears throat> there are some words of Torah, that serves as a tikkun for the entire conversation. That elevates the entire conversation that you're having. And Rabbi Nezal said this is similar to what the Gemara points out in Shabbos, page 30, that the Sefer Kohelis, which was written by Shlomo HaMelech, if a person reads, we just recently celebrated the holiday of Sukkot, not long ago, and on Sukkot, <coughs> on Shabbos Cholamoid, or if there is no Shabbos Cholamoid, like this past year, on the first day of Sukkot, we read Kohelis, the Sefer Kohelis. And a person reading it, most of it, a person who's not really learned, doesn't necessarily see the spirituality in it at first glance. And the Gemara says, so the rabbis at one point were thinking of, of hiding the Sefer Kohelis. In other words, not publishing it, not spreading it. Why didn't they? The answer is because it starts with words of Torah and it ends with words of Torah. Meaning, in the beginning and end of Kohelis, you can see more clearly the Torah aspect of it even though we know that the Zohar Kodesh and other Svarim are filled with pages and pages of incredible revelations based on the words of Kohelis. But to an ordinary, regular Jew, religious Jew, they read it and sometimes they, they, it, it doesn't sound so religious. It just sounds like ordinary, interesting things. But they said that because the beginning and end of Divrei Torah, therefore they didn't hide it. Meaning that, again, when a person has a conversation with another person, and in order to engage that person, you need to discuss things that are not obviously Torah-related, but your intention is, your intention is, 
in the conversation to try to connect that person to Hashem, to try to bring that person close to Hashem or to a tzaddik, <clears throat> the entire conversation is considered worthwhile. And Rav Nosson Zal adds that in Sikhay Saran, Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, paragraph 204, <clears throat> it, it says there that a person who knows Rabbi Nazal Sfarim well will be able to find or any conversation in the world that you would have with any person, you'll be able to find it within Rabbi Nazal's Torah. You'll be able to see a connection to Rabbi Nazal's Torah. And it's not possible for there to be any conversation in the world that doesn't have a connection to Rabbi Nazal's Torah. We know that Rabbeinu, when it came to like some of the atheists that lived in uh, Uman or Breslev, Rabbeinu Nachman forbade his students from talking to them, and he said only Rav, Rav Nassan can talk to them a little bit. And yet here we, we, we we're learning about kind of kiruv type of conversations. So the question is like <coughs> regular people like like us, where how do we know when we should engage and when to leave it to professional type of thing? Very good question, very important question, and this goes back to something we mentioned many times, that when a person reads one paragraph in a Sefer, you can't assume that that paragraph is telling you everything you need to know about that subject. The point that you just made is very important, that there are exceptions to this rule. For example, Rabbi Nezal mentioned in one place that a person, a Mishuma, the person who converts out of the religion, that's a red line that we don't cross. That's a red line that ordinary people certainly are not allowed to speak to such a person, even if your intent is to try to bring them back. That's a certain red line. The case of those atheists, again, they were, they were so, so far that Rabbi Nezal understood even his students, the most learned ones, were not qualified to be able to, to speak to them. However, Realizing that, <clears throat> there are stories of great rabbis who are inspired by simple people. Two of the great rabbis in Poland in the previous generation <clears throat> were influenced by a shoemaker who spoke to them <clears throat> about Tikkun Chatzois, and, and he was the one who turned them on, that kind of thing. So we need to know both things. A person needs to know who they are and what their capabilities are. And if a person is really sincere, sometimes you could have a person with much less knowledge who can affect somebody much more learned than them, that kind of thing. I remember in my own, my own engaging with people, I had the privilege of spending quality time with Rabbi Pinchas Taitz, Zechran Avracha, who was the rabbi of Elizabeth, New Jersey, the chief rabbi of Elizabeth, New Jersey. He was a student of the Or Sameach in Vince a giant in Torah, a giant in, in every facet of life. And at the time, I was in my early 20s, and I believe he was in his 70s. <clears throat> and we spent quality time together, and because I had been privileged to spend eight years with Rav Rosenfeld, there was a lot to say. And I remember when we parted ways at the time afterwards, <clears throat> he said to me, I want you to know that before we met, I, I didn't know that much about the Baal Shem Tov, about Hasidus in general, and certainly not about Breslov. And what I did know wasn't that inspiring necessarily, wasn't that favorable. But he said that after the time we spent together, my, my whole opinion, my whole attitude changed dramatically regarding Hasidus in general and Breslov. And again, this was an example of a kid speaking to a giant, a tremendous giant. I remember another incident that comes to mind with Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, Zechran of Rocha. Those that are familiar with who this person was, you know, a, a super giant. And I, we were once speaking, and I asked him what he was in the middle of at the time, and he said he was writing something about the Ktoiris. And I had learned something shortly before that from the Shavah Kodesh, an interesting Chiddush about the Ktoiris. And I was debating, should I say it or not? You know, it could be I'm going to say it to him, 
and it's like a kid in kindergarten speaking to a college professor, and he says, of course, everybody knows that. What kind of, you know, why are you telling me that? Why, why are you wasting my time? And I mentioned it to him at the time that the Shavar Kodesh points out, the Gemara says that where do we find Mordechai HaTzadik mentioned in the Torah, in the written Torah? And the Gemara says that one of the ingredients of the Ketoris, Mordoror, the, the Targum is Mordechai, Mordechai. The Gemara says that's where Mordechai is mentioned in the Torah. And the Zohar Kodesh tells us that Ketoris is something that reaches up to the highest, highest places and can also reach down to the lowest places to, to affect the Tikkun. So the Shlach Kodesh says, if that's the case, then Homon also has to be in the Ketoris. And he says, Chelbena is Bigimatria Homon. And this is why the Gemara says in Gitten, from the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Homon came forth rabbis who taught Torah to the Jewish people in Bnei Brak. So I, I said it to him, and he said, Rav one minute, I want to write it down, hold on. And this to me was an incredible, incredible display of humility, number one. He didn't have to say that, he could have just gone... But, but he wanted to show a willingness to listen to a Dvar Torah from somebody who was younger than him and much less learned than him, obviously, in many ways. And yet, in Kal Yisrael, there is an ability, if it's being done with sincerity, there is an ability for each and every person to, to be able to share something with somebody else, sometimes that's meaningful and sometimes can be life-changing. You hear stories about people sometimes... 20 years after you told them something and they say you should know that you once said this to me 20 years ago and I never forgot it, that kind of thing. So it is important for a person to want to share. There are people, it still requires some intelligence to know to whom and when and what. You know, the Zohar Kodesh makes an incredible statement, Zako mandamalil al utna deshoma. Fortunate is the person who speaks to ears that are willing to listen. So that's a very, very important point, that before you, you, you talk, before you lecture somebody, before, to make sure to see if the person is ready to be able to hear what you want to say. Any other questions? We'll hold it over here for now. Wishing everybody a good week. We should be zeichet to hear good news, and Hashem should help that the zechus of studying the words of tzaddikim, Hashem should have rachmanus on all of Klal Yisrael and give us all the yeshuas and refuas that we need, especially the gula shlema b'mehera b'yameinu, amen v'yameinu.